Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 118 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, and that is Gavin and Fia. And guys, have you ever been really, really happy that you don't have to do anything in the summer? Uh, no, because yes. I've had to do things in the summer. Yeah, Fia, you have? You've, you've felt that feeling before? I mean, like, in the college days, yeah. Exactly. It's incredible uh, when you can continue that feeling for the rest of your working life. Because, uh, <laughs> because friends, we're recording this on Monday. I just got back from a flight at one in the morning. I got back from a bachelor party in Puerto Rico. We had a great time. And they were all talking about, oh, yeah, I've got to go to work on Monday. Oh, I've got to do this and that. And I'm just sitting there laughing to myself like, I don't have to do anything. I've got a couple weeks to recover from this. Yeah, so, I, I yeah. definitely can uh, can relate a little bit, even though it's not quite you know, whole summer off. But so uh, at the university that I work at, we just had the president's sort of annual address to the like, faculty and staff today. And uh, so I didn't realize quite how many holidays we get or like holiday days. Um, but on top of I get uh, four weeks vacation, just like as a base for my, you know, pay. Um, we also get, I think like 20 or 22 like holidays wow. so we get we get two weeks off around christmas we get the whole week of thanksgiving off uh and you know all the various holidays and things throughout the year on top of that so it's it's pretty great working in education can't complain that's awesome yeah but uh speaking of colleges uh that you're gonna be talking a lot about them today uh so last episode we mentioned that Next episode, you know, this episode was going to be about tales. You know, the the thing that your cat likes to, you know, raise at you and, and show you their butt and your dog likes to wag and knock things over. Um, it's not going to be that, as you might have seen by the title. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about one of the um, less fun parts of science, and that is student loans in the United States. Um, and there's a fun sort of story that actually sort of reconnects to the podcast, uh, tangentially anyway, uh, about why I was inspired to sort of change the episode. Um, and Mike, do you remember? It was probably like five or six years ago at this point. We were driving out to Rochester. Well. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Where we almost died in a car accident. Um, and Jeez. it was, it was right. We didn't actually get in an accident, but it was raining really bad and the car hydroplaned and we almost crashed into the guardrail, but we spun out pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this wasn't car even that was going like, like particularly fast for the record. No. So like slow down if it's raining, like that was, yeah, that absolutely. was one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me. Oh God, me too. Uh, and especially cause I wasn't driving. <laughs> yes. I was in control. I was in control the whole time. So at least I had that, you know, I, I felt like I could do something about the situation. Gavin, I had, I, mean, I was like, Jesus, take the wheel, you know? Yep. <laughs> but which means um, I'm Jesus in the situation, but okay. That's true. <laughs> yep. Uh, but on that trip, Mike showed me this podcast that I've been listening to ever since called the weeds. Mm, yes. Which if you're not familiar, the weeds is a very, um, as the name might imply a very in the weeds, uh, like public policy podcast talking about different things, different like acts of Congress, different uh, judicial things, basically getting very in depth on various different policies that the government has. Uh, 
And there was one a couple of weeks ago titled, let me pull it up here, Who Broke Student Loans? And I thought, hey, my student loans are kind of broke. <laughs> They're <laughs> making me broke. Uh, so I listened to the episode and I learned things about my student loans that I did not know before about why I am more screwed than I probably th- should have been. And I thought I'd like to just sort of have a conversation about, uh, at least in the United States, what it takes to be a scientist, uh, you know, a professional scientist anyway, and uh, talk about college and student loans, because all three of us have kind of different, you know, experiences with it. And uh, I also got some sort of international perspectives as well. I, I know, text some colleagues that uh, had their education in the UK, and then I also looked up a bunch of stuff about other various places around the world. So I just want to compare uh, why the U.S. is losing so bad <laughs> in so many things to so many other countries. Um, but yeah, so I guess real quick, before we get into the meat of the episode, we'll go ahead and do our uh, typical opening shtick. But uh, I guess, Fia, hit us with some housekeeping. Yeah, so uh, don't forget to rate the show on whatever platform you listen to us on and follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Wait, do I do we call Twitter X now, or is it still Absolutely called Twitter? Not. I refuse. Absolutely, absolutely, not. yeah, no. Okay, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube to give us feedback about the show and any future topics you would like to hear. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, be sure to fill out the guest form, which all this could be found in the show notes. And so, uh, I guess, what's the n- next episode topic for next time, Gavin? Um, you might have heard this before. We're going to be talking about tales. What? Yeah. So we are, we're just basically taking what should have been this episode and moving it until uh, next episode. Um, but also, just as a quick side note, um, I put off updating my Twitter app for a really long time because I didn't want it to say X. <laughs> so I had it for a solid, like, two weeks after it, it changed. And then it, like, auto-updated. And now I just have yeah. this stupid... X yep. on my phone. Yeah, Fia, anyway. I mean, like, you made me upset just by even asking that question because now I'm thinking about it. Like, <laughs> Sorry. It's just, uh, I mean, th- we're not doing a tech policy here, but wow. No, but. But anyway, wow. Yes. It's right. That, that will be, yes, that'll be next episode. But uh, Mike, what happened today in history? Um, uh, who do I think can do this? Um. Fia. Who do I think can do this? <laughs> oh, no. Fia. Yes? Can you name all four Beatles? Oh, <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Maybe can is you name John any Lennon? Of the Beatles? John, John Lennon? Lennon's one of them. That's yep. it. That's you all I got. Okay, uh, Gavin. Paul McCartney. Paul. Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. And George Harrison. Correct. Do you know which of those four was not an original member of the Beatles? Ooh, I don't actually. Yeah, my so instinct, this is something. My instinct is to just say Ringo. Because I know <laughs> he's why, kind why... of like the left out Beatle. Um, your instinct is correct, as it turns out. <laughs> um, so when the Beatles first, the Beatles, the kind of history and formation of the Beatles is... Um, uh, is something very interesting. There was a band called the Quarrymen that sort of morphs into the Silver Beatles and then mm. the actual Beatles. Um, and there was a guy by the name of Pete Best 
that um, was drumming um, in a lot of those cases and was the original drummer for the Beatles. He uh, he winds up leaving, was fired. Uh, I don't know the exact um, situation, but today in history sure. was when Ringo Starr officially replaced Pete Best, and he played his first official concert two days later on, uh-huh. um, on I guess that would be August uh, 18th um, in 1962. And Pete Best kind of became... Uh, famous for not being famous um, right, in a yeah. lot of ways because he is the answer to a number of trivia questions of who is the original drummer of the Beatles. Um, and I cannot imagine being part of the formation of you know, not just like a big band or something, like, you know, the bass player for a band that had one hit, but just like the biggest band that has ever existed. Right. It's not like you're saying like as much as I really enjoy the music, but like Green Day, it's like, you know, big band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially, you know, early 2000s and stuff, but it's like not the Beatles, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, the just the Beatles. And so he gave a um I believe he gave an interview with David Letterman years and years later, um because he's avoided a fair amount of media attention for obvious reasons. Um and it was like it looked like it really pained the poor man just that he I was bet. he was there and then, you know, he was not and did not get to partake in uh, in any of the success. So yeah, today in history was when Ringo Starr um, replaced Pete Best um, as the official drummer of the Beatles, something that many casual fans, and I'm certainly no expert, but many casual fans don't even know that uh, there was an original drummer of the Beatles. So there we go. That is our today in history. Awesome. Thank you for that, Thanks. Mike. Yeah. And Fia, Maybe this is not the week you're doing it, but if I remember right, we're going to be starting to sort of transition Swamp Corner into uh, something else. So I don't know if you want to talk about that or if you want to save that for when we actually uh, sort of launch that. Yeah, we're going to save that because uh, I'm going to wait until, you know, I, I've been in some seagrass. Uh, okay. But mm-hmm. yeah, for today in Swamp Corner, all I have to say is it's hot as heck, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was trying to figure out what to talk about on this one and so I just like went on the internet and uh I found out that like today our governor of Louisiana John Bell Edwards declared Louisiana in a state of emergency uh because of the summer's record run of extreme heat and uh this obviously be doing due to a number of emergency room visits, droughts, among uh, other reasons. Um, but yeah, it's it's extremely hot in the South, and it's mm-hmm. been abnormally hot for a long time. I think we've had extreme heat warnings probably every single day for the past month. It seems like, oh. and yeah, that's causing drought and. Significant drops in the Mississippi River's water level, which is adding stress to the water supplies and agriculture. And uh, according to NOLA.com, there were at least 16 heat-related deaths in June and July um, in Louisiana. According, that seems like too many. Yeah. yeah, this is compared to an average of 10 per year. So that's still kind of a lot, but... Now, 10 per year, and there was 16 in July by itself? In June and July, yeah. June, okay. Well, still, it's not like that. Yeah, two months. That's, bar- that's barely better. Uh, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, just extensive heat warning is just uh, 
it's intense here and it's going to run through until uh, early September. So take home message for anybody dealing with this extreme heat. Stay cool, drink water, and be alert for any signs of heat exhaustion, which include uh, cool, moist skin, heavy sweating, dizziness, fatigue, rapid pulse, um, muscle cramps, nausea, headache in the heat. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of heat also, um, you know, just, you know, thinking about all the wildfires and stuff going on in Hawaii right now. True. Um, Very true. So if you can, if you have any cent available to you to donate, definitely send some money their way or to some other heat mitigation yeah. efforts because uh, the world's certainly not getting colder. And I could go off on a, maybe at some point we'll do an, a bonus episode, not tonight because I know Mike's very tired. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, about this weird thing, they, they changed the type of fuel that is used in cargo ships. So that it emits less um, sulfur dioxide, which can cause acid rain. But it's also a pretty good, um, basically reverses the greenhouse effect. It lets, um, or not quite reverses, but so the greenhouse effect, you know, sunlight gets in and then gets trapped. Uh, Sulfur dioxide prevents sunlight from getting in in the first place. Um, But because the sulfur dioxide is no longer being emitted by these ships, uh, particularly over the North Atlantic, temperatures are just skyrocketing right now um, because they no longer have this blanket of protection. So it's like, yeah, climate change is actually currently worse than we thought it was because we were missing this signal from this sulfur dioxide. So uh, things are real bad and uh, are going to get real worse. So... Yeah. 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 Anyway, on yeah. that uh happy note, let's talk about uh extreme generation crushing debt, shall we? Um so, real quick, um cuz I know my story is going to be a little longer and more complicated with my student loans. Um if you guys don't mind, bunch you talk about sort of your uh, student loan situation. So all three of us have master's degrees, so we're all roughly equivalent in that sense. Um, but yeah, I guess so. Mike, go ahead and and tell us about your your loan stuff. Or, you know, money is always kind of complicated. So if there's anything you don't want to tell the world, you know, feel free to not share that. Yeah. So um, uh, when I was in high school, fortunately, my father had retired from his original job and went to go work at uh, Syracuse University. Um, primarily so that way his kids could all get uh, tuition-free education. Smart. Um, it worked out particularly well for my younger brothers um, who got essentially full rides. Um, but because he had only started working there recently, I had to wait until um, middle of my sophomore year to be okay. tuition-free. Um, so I only had tuition for my first um, couple of semesters. It wound up being about $40,000. Um, I One of those was a loan from Sally Mae with 12% interest that as soon as I got a real job, I... Yep got my 20 grand and I paid it all off all at once. Um, and then I still have one more loan um, from the Department of Ed um, that I haven't been paying on for the last number of years because I haven't had to. Sure. Um, that is still roughly in that 20 grand um, uh, ballpark. That was my undergrad. As far as grad school goes, um, I paid for that out of pocket. Um, okay. And I very you, nearly in, wasn't in able to. In New York, to. you can do that part-time while you're teaching, right? 
Um, so you can if your undergrad is in education. My undergrad right. was not in education. So I had to do a full year of a master's program. Um, and I, I subbed and did other stuff, but I functionally didn't have a real job at that point. And I had zero dollars in my bank account. Like I had to, without going into too many details, there was a, uh, a brief moment when I thought I wasn't going to be able to, um, to pay it all off. I was able to pay them all off. I had zero dollars in my bank account at the end of it. And so I got um, uh, tuition or you know, loan free from my master's program. Uh, but it did, you know, fortunately, I was able to get a job right afterwards. Otherwise, I would have had some right. serious problems. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's my story. I got out, you know, probably better than most other uh, art school dropouts uh, uh, wind up, I'd have to say. So, like, so, to- total, yeah. give or take, you said around 20? About 40 grand total in loans um, okay. with, with two different loans um, is what it ended up being. And then, um, yeah, that's just in loans that I have to pay back after school, not including anything that I was paying during that actual time. Right, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my story. I assume uh, Fia is going to go next. Yeah. Yeah, so um, for various reasons that uh, will remain personal, I did not have any to take out any student loans. And so for my undergrad, um, I came out with no debt. And then for my master's, I got a graduate assistantship that essentially paid for um, most of my tuition. And I had to pay like student fees every semester, which like was about a thousand dollars a semester. And I just paid that out of pocket. And, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it for me. And then when I'm going to do my PhD, it'll essentially be the same thing of they, I got a assistantship that will pay for my tuition and, um, then I will just have to pay student fees. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's pretty typical for, especially if you're going to grad right. school in the sciences at especially l- relatively larger universities like LSU is pretty big yeah. um and what is it University of Florida right yep mm-hmm. yep yeah so two pr- fairly large state universities uh yeah. that's you know pretty typical uh so uh and I would have Liz uh talk about hers as well because she also has a a bachelor's degree but she's currently at work um but uh she also uh does not have any student loans mostly because like for her particular instance she worked the whole time and also lived at home and drove you know 45 minutes to a, a pretty reputable university for what she went to college for and um you know worked super super hard and you know, worked full time the entire time she was in college and paid it off herself. Um, so awesome. thankfully, because otherwise we would just be absolutely destroyed right now. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, currently I owe give or take uh, a little below $75,000 in student wow. loans. Yeah. Uh, my monthly payment is about $630. <sighs> Um, yeah. And so that is even given that I tried my absolute best to do what was sort of the, the responsible thing. Uh, I went to community college, 
where I lived at home. Well, for the second year, I lived in the dorms, but because I was an RA, I lived there for free. Um, so I didn't pay for housing either of those two years. Um, I graduated from community college completely loan free. Uh, after that, I went to a state school, uh, which for anybody who's outside the U.S. are generally cheaper. I know that kind of varies from country to country, which are cheaper or not, surprisingly. Right. Um, but so I went there for three years uh, and was a resident assistant in the dorms there, too, for five of those six semesters, which also paid for my room. Um, I also worked in the dining hall, you know, a few days a week to make some money. Um and I don't remember what exactly I my total was when I graduated from there. Um, but I do know when I went to grad school that I got a partial tuition waiver, so not the full waiver. Um, but my grad stipend, uh, you know, that I got paid for teaching classes and stuff, um, was like on paper more than my tuition. So it's like on paper, I came out slightly positive in the, in terms of just like number of dollars, but, uh, you know, they, the tuition is upfront, whereas I get paid, I think it was like three times a semester or something. So I needed to take out loans for that. And for those ones in particular, uh, my parents didn't want to co-sign. They co-signed on my, uh, undergrad loans to get me a better interest rate. But for this one, they were like, well, it's, it's grad school. Now you're out of college. Why don't you try it on your own? And if they deny you, we'll co-sign. Um, in my first year of grad school, I had a, I think it was about $10,000 loan with 10% interest. Jeez. Yep. And it was, it was it's just not, and like to the, very briefly with that and the loan that I had to take out, um, going to undergrad, just like when people are like, oh, I can't believe people would take out a loan. Like, you know, you're more like, what's what the other option? Like, yeah, yeah right. Like there, it, there's a little bit of, of just like the, of like, you know, F you, what are you going to do about it? Like, it's like that, that is part of the issue when it comes to stuff like this is this is what you get. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny. I'm glad that you brought up Sally Mae, Mike, because uh, we're about to get a little I'm in not, the weeds. But okay. Well, uh, we're going to get in the weeds of uh, education policy here for a second. So um, for anybody who is outside the U.S. or has not used Sally Mae in particular, Sally Mae used to be run by the federal government. That is what they used to distribute sort of sort of like the user end of the federal loan system. Uh, and in fact, when my older sister went to college, it was still owned and run by the federal government. It was in the process of being privatized, but when my sister was going through, it was still federally run. Um, which means that because it's federally run, that the government sort of subsidizes it and lets basically uh, allows for lower interest rates because the government is like backing the loan more or less. Um, however, in the summer of 2016, uh, I'm sorry, 2014 uh, is when uh, Sally Mae was fully privatized. However, my parents, you know, my parents, neither of my parents went to college themselves. And I want to make it clear. I am not uh, trying to, you know, just blame my parents, nor am I trying to be like, Oh, poor Gavin. He has debt. Um, this is just the, the realistic situation of many thousands of people our age in the U.S. right now. Right. Um, and uh, so my parents, you know, they didn't know exactly what to do. They were just like, well, we went with Sally Mae for my sister. 
why not just use it for Gavin? Um, the FAFSA, which is sort of the thing you enter all your information in to l- tell the federal government, hey, I'd like some loans, please. And the government is like, mm, you, your family makes this much money. Here's how much they should be able to give you per year for loans. Here's how much loans we will give you. Um, the FAFSA said my parents should be able to give me like $10,000 a year for college, which we absolutely couldn't afford. Um, and therefore gave me very little in like federal loans. So my parents just did the rest through Sally Mae because they thought that was still somehow federal, but it was not. And the difference between those federal loans and Sally Mae is that federal loans don't, most of them don't accrue interest while you're in school. And that was the kicker for me is that the entire time me putting on that extra year of undergrad and then doing the two years of grad school, all of my loans were just continually gaining interest. Um, And so by the time I graduated with my master's, I had like uh, a little over $80,000 and uh, I refinanced basically immediately to get rid of that one 10% loan. And uh, yeah, so here I am, I'm going to be paying those loans until I'm 40, which is crazy. Um, Did you know that? Yeah, go ahead. Did you know at the time that this um, loan was going to be accruing interest while you were in school? Um, I don't know, to be honest. I don't really remember. Um, yeah. So yeah. for especially my first year of undergrad, like, you know, I was there, like, you know, sat down with my mom, but my mom did it mostly because she's the one who did it for my sister. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I don't know, truthfully. Um. Mm-hmm. I think at some point I had looked at my stuff and must have realized it at some point. Yeah. But then I was like, well, it's just easier to have all my loans in one place. And then also, I don't know why I wasn't immediately no to the 10% loan or why I didn't ask my parents. Cause that was uh, easily like 4% higher than what I got when my parents were co-signers. Right. Right. Um, so fortunately, I, I refinanced when, you know, before uh, interest rates went up, you know, with all this inflation stuff. Oh, yeah. So, I, yeah. So I refinanced them almost two years ago now um, and got a nice, I think it's like 4.25% or something, which is considering what it was really good. Um, but yeah, so that is my story of how privatizing things that were once owned and run by the government uh, hurts people, <laughs> hurts yeah. people real bad. Um, yeah. and so the, the reason why we're talking about this in general is because, um, this really hurts science. And this might seem kind of counterintuitive, but I, I feel like it shouldn't be because mm-hmm. the, the fewer people can get into science, that just means the less science is being done and the more you know, everyone talks about diversity and stuff, but you want different types of brains thinking about science because they think about it in different ways. And generally, at least in the U S the people with money tend to be fairly similar to one another. And, you know, it just means less people can get into science, which at the end of the day is bad. And why, um, if you look at basically every metric in terms of research or pretty much anything else, uh, every other developed country, is just kicking the hell out of the U S. <laughs> um, 
And so, just for fun, I decided to look up what uh, the education system is kind of like in some other countries. And then, like I said earlier, got some sort of anecdotes from some friends over in uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. So let's let's do some world traveling, shall we? Uh, we'll start off with the other most expensive one in the world, which is the United Kingdom. Um, that's where most of my friends that I talked to were from. Uh, and unlike most other European countries, there is actually uh, tuition <laughs> and like fairly substantial tuition. Um, so, for example, let's see. One of them says that their loan for undergrad was about $3,000 per year. And then they took out an extra $3,000 per year uh, for just like rent, food, stuff like that. So they said around total $18,000 for their undergrad, Um, which I feel like that's fairly typical of like a state school. Yeah. Um, PhDs and grad uh, degrees work a little differently over there. Um, so, uh, another friend who was in a PhD program, uh, said it was about $2,000 per year and, uh, for part-time anyway, I'm not quite sure what it was, uh, if you were to do it full-time, but I know, uh, here in the U S a PhD is minimum four years. Your first two years, you take classes similar to how you did during your master's while you're developing your research project. And then the years three, four plus um, are doing your research and usually teaching as well. And uh, in the UK, that's not really the thing. They just cut the first two years of the classes because they assume you did that during your master's. Hmm, So typical PhDs. Yeah. It's, it's, and uh, I actually met somebody who was from the UK who uh, was doing their PhD here and they were like, yeah, I didn't know that before I signed the paperwork. And I'm like, well, maybe in that case, I'm like, yeah, you should have done it a little better. But I think I just wanted to come <laughs> to the U.S. and see what it was like. Um, but yeah, they were. she was kind of surprised by that. Um, but also weirdly in the U.K., it kind of varies from country to country within the U.K. Uh, so, for example, in England, all public universities have like a cap on how much they can charge tuition. So it's capped at about $13,000 in England. In Northern Ireland, it's as low as $6,000 a year. And uh, and, th- and this is all to like, you know, people who live there. Um, and then in Scotland, it's free to Scotlanders. What? Yep. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Lots of other countries in the, uh, especially the EU, are... Uh, free or extremely low cost to EU member states. Uh, and also they include Switzerland usually, even though Switzerland's not in the uh, EU. It, they just kind of like Switzerland. I guess you're here. You might as well, you know, we'll be nice to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Germany, it is completely tuition free for EU member states. And it's only $3,500 a year for non-EU students. So if I wanted to go do a bachelor's in Germany, the tuition would only be $3,500 a year, which is wow. considerably less than even like an in-state tuition state school Yeah. here. Uh, yeah. I'll know that firsthand. Yeah. Um, let's see. France, public universities varies uh, 
somewhere between $200 and $700 a year. In France and in a different, a few countries, uh, your tuition is based on what, effectively, what major you are. So if you are, say, a geology major versus, say, uh, like a a fine arts major or something, uh, you pay different tuition. I didn't, you know, go into the depths of which ones pay what or whatever. Um, But I just thought that was an interesting way to think about it. I assume that all of these figures are being converted from whatever the the local yep. currency is, whether it's euros or otherwise, into yeah. This is this correct. is all USD. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Switzerland is one of the more expensive uh, places, four hundred and fifty dollars to somewhere around four thousand dollars a year. Again, this is all for locals. Finland. Uh, free for EU, free for non-EU. So if I wanted to go take a uh, college course in Finland, it would be free if I took it in Finnish or Swedish. But if I took it in English, uh, or if it was a PhD program, that's free as well, even to non-EU folks. But if I took it in uh, you know, undergraduate classes in English, it would cost money. So if you're uh, an American who speaks Finnish or Swedish... You have a free education over there. But how much it would cost to like take classes, you know, take a number of classes, become at least proficient enough in one of those languages, and then travel over there and begin the the education process. Cheaper than a college degree, I would imagine. <laughs> I I would think so, but now now I'm curious. Yeah. There's so much free online learning tools for like learning other languages right. that I think. That's, right, true. I that's bet- a that's a separate thing. Yeah. If you could do yeah, that, but I mean, like taking actual classes, you know, like a community college or something, or right, yeah, if that yeah. was available. I don't know. I feel like you'd be kind of hard pressed to find a community college with Finnish and Swedish. The, My yeah, community yeah. college only had, uh, I think, Latin, French, and Spanish. Maybe German. I think there was German as well. Let's see. Uh, moving outside the EU, then, because a lot of the EU countries are something to that effect. Um, Australia, very complicated system. Um, however, price generally, um, f- say if I wanted to go to Australia, it would cost about the same as like an in-state tuition college would here. So it's not really cheaper for an international student. Um, but for a you know domestic Australian student, um, they sort of break it up again into bands depending on what sort of major it is, but for a geology degree, for example, it'd be capped at roughly $5,400 a year. Let's see. Uh, same part of the world, New Zealand, similar system to Australia, a bit more expensive, somewhere between $6,000 and $15,000 a year. Uh, Brazil. Uh, couldn't find a lot of like, like cost information, but their public universities are tuition-free. Um, however, it seems like over 75% of students go to the private universities i don't know why you would if it was free unless the (laughs) public ones are just kind of really bad i don't know and i i'm mostly just doing this picking countries now that have a lot of paleontology just for reference um let's see south africa uh you pay for the course not necessarily per year but if you were to take the equivalent of sort of full time uh it would work out somewhere between 260 dollars not two hundred sixty thousand, two hundred and sixty. Wow. And four thousand dollars. That's 
that's incredible. Uh, and then lastly, of all the countries that I looked up, uh, China. I feel like that one's particularly pres- uh, you know, important given just the general geopolitical climate these days between the U.S. and China uh, for foreigners. So again, if I wanted to go to China and study, it would cost me between $2,500 and $5,000 per year. Uh, I couldn't find good numbers for Chinese citizens, but just given their economic system, I would assume that it's free. So yeah, that is just generally what the rest of the world is looking like. And personally, uh, I think in the next 10 to 15 years, we are going to really see science in the United States really struggle uh, just because we are not investing in it. Like, yeah, you're putting in the money for, uh, you know, research and development at places like SpaceX. And I think that, honestly, as much as I don't particularly, speaking of, you know, X earlier, um, as much as I don't particularly like Elon Musk personally, um, I think it's good that the U.S. government, you know, puts some kind of money into the public or private sector like that you know, investing in research and development at different companies. Um, However, that only helps the people that are already there. You know? Yeah. Right. But I mean, is this, is this like a a unique to science kind of problem? Um, Because I mean, I feel like the higher education, the costs and barriers to higher education kind of affect all of higher education. It, like, it, is this a science-specific kind of problem, or is this just a higher ed problem that you know science is only a part of? I mean, I feel like this is uh, science. I feel like is probably the best case scenario um, because science generally has sort of a tangible output, whereas investing in things like the arts has a much less visible outcome necessarily as much as art is kind of like a visual medium but it's like you know if you're investing in the education of engineers the government can be like hey they're going to build us supercomputers that can compete with china or they're going to build us weapons that can compete with you know our enemies and if you tell that to taxpayers they're like yes do that Mm -hmm. but if the u.s government is investing in uh, you know, this this person learning graphic design, I feel like people generally would have a problem with their tax, at least Americans would have a problem with their, you know, taxes going to that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying there. Uh, and, you know, many parts of science have a much more tangible output than say paleontology. Uh, You know, for example, investing in, you know, biology programs that can help with medicines that can help with, uh, you know, different biomedical engineering things. So developing new medicines, developing new treatments for different things. Um, In geology, there's, you know, mineral resources with all the different, you know, green power things that we're, you know, trying to invest in you need a ton of geologists and mining engineers and geological engineers out there to go find all this stuff and make sure that we take it out of the ground, you know, in a cost-effective way. 
uh, paleontology is just kind of fun. You know, there's no, I, as much as I love paleontology, there's really relatively little economic value in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, mm-hmm. you know, I'm mostly just framing this in a science context because that's what I know, you know? Um, but it's like, if we can't even fund the thing that people would want or that the, that they could understand the government getting some kind of return on investment on, uh, we're sure as heck not going to fund, you know, arts as much as we should. Right. And so this is just sort of a, uh, Hey, I listened to a podcast and I got frustrated and I wanted to share my frustration with my podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of those things that's hard to raise a, raise a constituency for in order to like get votes for something in order to change the yeah. way the policy works. That's, I mean, yeah, and is it, it's so ironic. So I mentioned um, earlier that the president of my university gave his like yearly address today, and he said something about like they're trying to increase our endowment. And so, for context, I work at a, a small private liberal arts college. Uh, so tuition, he said something, I don't remember his exact words, but he said probably within the next five years or so, tuition's going to be up around a hundred thousand dollars. Holy crap. That's a year to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and he said, granted, our endowment is quite large. So we use that to help put out, you know, provide scholarships and things like that. And I'm like, why not just use the the endowment to just lower tuition then? Hey, how you know? about that? Right. You know? But um but they, yeah, they said they wanted to like increase by like fifty percent or something or or something with a fifty. I don't remember. Um I I got I was just too stunned by the tuition being a hundred thousand dollars uh to to listen to the next few sentences that he said. But yeah, so this is yeah, just sort crazy. of a a a call to to any folks who vote, which is hopefully all of you, um, you know, think about these kinds of things, you know, when, when you go to vote or when you send your kid to college or when you yourself go to college, um, these are the things that are, are sort of the reason why millennials aren't buying houses and stuff like that. All the, you know, millennial memes and stuff from a handful of years ago. And now Gen Z who are going to have it even worse, uh, but yeah, I know personally me and Liz have been looking at trying to buy a house um, around here and we kind of just can't, even though she has no loans. I have, we have between our two cars, we have one car payment and then my student loans and uh, yeah. the, you know, mortgage lenders just say, you know, here's what house you can afford. And there's very few houses that are like livable that, you know, would cost that much with a mortgage. Right. And so this is, again, I'm not trying to be like, oh, poor Gavin, you know, that's not the goal here. I just want to sort of make it clear uh, when your scientists can't eat, you can't have scientists anymore. You can't do science when you don't have food. Yeah. Um, True. And that has ripple effects down to, you know, every facet of life. Exactly. Um, But yeah, so uh, happy Wednesday. (laughs) <laughs> uh, um, 
Gavin, I assume we'll be able to include um, the link to the original um, the weeds episode. Yes, yes um, absolutely. To put in there they break it down ones. much in a much more understandable way than I did with the whole Sally Mae stuff. But it's like I did not know. I knew that Sally Mae was private, but I didn't sort of make the connection that like it had been. And then the timeline was like basically as soon as my sister graduated with her four year degree is when it became private. So it's like my particular situation affects vanishingly few people where it's like, Oh, your older sibling, you know, had Sally Mae when it was federal, but you know, three years later you got Sally Mae when it was private. Um, I feel like that affects extremely few people, (laughs) but, um, Mm -hmm. Again, that's just the consequences of elected officials, you know, trying to privatize things. Um, and then looking at all these other countries that have this all, all of this public funding for their universities. And like I said, within the next 10 to 15 years, it, it's really going to be not pretty for the state of, you know, science and just academia in the United States in general, um, which academia has many, many, many problems. Um, and this is just one of them among a long list, but, uh, this just goes further in excluding people who can't afford it. And like I said earlier, as much as diversity is thrown around all the time, it's like you want science or diversity in science because you want people to be thinking about all these new problems that we're going to face, like climate change, like wildfires in different ways. And if everybody has the same background, that being in the US, you know, wealthy, and then typically wealthier people are generally white. And, you know, college being so prohibitively expensive just goes to further, you know, science being a monoculture, which is not good for anybody. Right. Anyway. It's the real downer of an episode. It sure is. But next week. We do a lot of those. Or, or we sure do. Uh, fortunately, we don't have any more big ex- extinctions uh, coming down the pike until we eventually. We already did. An I really episode hope you're right about ago. that. Well, we did an episode already about the sixth extinction. We did that quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, but maybe we'll revisit that. <laughs> Depending oh. on how long this podcast goes on. Uh, and maybe we will. But until then, uh, uh, this has been episode 118 of "I Wish You Were Dead," a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Mike, that was Gavin and Fia, and hopefully we're all still around to see you in a couple of weeks when we can talk about tales. But until then, take care, everybody. This episode of I Wish You Were Dead was written by Gavin Davidson and hosted by Gavin Davidson, Mike Bryson, and Fenella Campanino. It was sound edited and edited for YouTube by Gavin Davidson. Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.